This morning, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as I go before the Lord and asking him for guidance in this message today. Gracious Father, loving Lord, it is always a challenge humanly, but it is effortless divinely. And I pray, Lord, today that you will take the efforts of a human and push them aside and use the ever-present power of the divine to find fertile soil to speak to the ears and hearts of those that you present before me this morning. And may they hear, and may they be conformed to your image. May they be transformed, and may they hear, not only hear, but may it be followed with an action of a transformed life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it, was, um, it was a very short passage in the Bible. And I want to begin this morning by what I have discovered this week as one of the shortest, yet one of the most profound scriptures in the book of Revelation. It's little, but when you walk through the Bible, you begin to see how big it really is. And I'd like you to begin this morning by reading it along with me. Revelation chapter 13, and together we're going to read with some oomph, verse 9. Together, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. One writer wrote, God gave us two ears and one mouth. He intended for us to listen twice as long as we speak. The Bible also says, be slow to speak, but quick to listen. In one of our devotional books, my wife and I read various books together, and she has one on relationships. And I've really learned a lot as we've shared together these books on relationships. Some days they have filed me, some days they have filed her. Some days they have filed both of us. And this was one of those devotionals that filed both of us. Because it pointed out this term, the dialogue of the deaf. And when I heard that term, I was intrigued. I thought, what on earth is the dialogue of the deaf? I began to do my homework and find out there that it's a, it's a title used by a number of authors and I thought to myself, what could inspire someone to come up with such an abstract title? Dialogue, which means speaking of the deaf, which means I'm not listening. And I looked up in Oxford references, and it explains the dialogue of the deaf as follows. A discussion, <laughs> back and forth discussion, in which each party is unresponsive to what the other says. Think about that. What an ironic statement. A dialogue in which each party is unresponsive to what the other says. And I know parents don't like their children to be unresponsive. I know wives don't like their husbands to be unresponsive. And I know husbands don't like their wives to be unresponsive. I know that employees 
or employers don't like their employees to be unresponsive. So how do we live in a society where the dialogue of the deaf is affecting us all? It also goes on to say the dialogue of the deaf is a situation in which people share their views without actually listening or acknowledging each other. Some of you may have been in that situation before where you told somebody something and maybe about a day or a week or a month later, they went back and did the same thing and you followed that dialogue by saying, did you hear, did you hear what I said? And I thought to myself that there is some relevance to the term dialogue of the deaf because you've heard of the very famous play called Julius Caesar, Caesar, and a young man by the name of Mark Anthony, I believe he hit the nail on the head in his recitation of this play called Julius Caesar when he began that flowing poem with the phrase, friends, Romans, and countrymen, say it with me, lend me your ear. The dialogue of the deaf. The lesson that I've discovered is, if I don't first get your ear, I won't have your mind. The dialogue of the deaf. As I sat under God's tutelage, asking the Lord, Father, I'm intrigued by the title, but where do I go with this? I said, show me what I need to do with this abstract title. And then God impressed upon me the feeling and the thought, I wondered if hearing God had anything to do with Noah's day. And then God sent me on a journey of turning my ears to him, tuning my ears to hear what I may have missed. We're going to come back to Noah in just a moment. But I'm mindful of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. And how in a world where there is so much noise... Is that an understatement? See, we are living in a quiet community. Praise God for that. But when I make a phone call either to New York City, more times than not, while I'm speaking to my sister on the phone, I hear sirens going off. I hear dogs barking. I hear music. One day I said to my sister, who's arguing with you? She said, no one. That's the television. And I thought, how could you hear me? I've been in apartment buildings where when you get in the elevator, as you pass the floors, you can hear the sound coming and you hear the sound leaving. I've walked in Times Square in New York City where sound is everywhere. And if you, if you didn't take a picture, but you just recorded that with a microphone and asked people to identify what's happening, they'll hear the sound of heels on the ground. The sounds of car doors slamming, people laughing, tires screeching, music blaring. You'll hear a cacophony of sounds that, for the most part, we really just don't pay attention to it because we have decided to tune our ears away from that which is irrelevant. But I've asked myself the question, could that possibly be happening in the last days between God's people and God. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, started the journey for me. And I read a 
a scripture that really intrigued me in this loud generation. Notice the word of God. Then he said, God speaking, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire, a still small voice. How can God's still small voice be heard in a loud generation? How can God get the attention of a society whose attention has been purchased by everything and everyone else? How can God find a way to bring a message of salvation to a generation that has purchased its own distractions? How can God gain access to a society that is so confused that it has lost the art of hearing. And I thought to myself, isn't hearing and listening the same thing? Well, psychologists and audiologists say, no, it's not the same thing. They said, we can hear many, many things. We can listen to many, many things, but we only hear those things that our minds have filtered as relevant. That's why a mother can hear her daughter crying in a crowded mall. That's why my wife, she has this whistle. I could be, and she does that sometimes in church to show people that she still has control of me. <laughs> sometimes on Sabbath, she's talking to somebody way over there and she goes, and I could hear that. We developed that in the heritage singers. We would go to malls and when it was time to leave, they'd say, just listen to our whistle. And we could hear it over the, over the din of noise in very crowded shopping malls. And sometimes in Walmart, I can't find her. And, and I'd say, and I'd whistle, or she'd whistle, and I'd follow that still small sound. But our ears have decided that this is a sound that we are looking for. The Lord reminds us that it is not always the confusing sounds around us, but sometimes the confusion of sounds that hinder our hearts, which takes me to that very opening moment of our earth when Eve had a conversation that she should not have had. And as we peek at that scripture, you'll discover how this conversation actually transpired because I discovered Satan could not access Eve's heart without first getting her ear. Genesis chapter 3, and we look together at verse 1 in the unfolding of the dialogue of the death. Now the serpent was more cunning, some translations say subtle, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, pause right there, we often go to what he said, but if she had turned him off there, we wouldn't be in this mess today. 
Now, well, there's the, there's the question of Adam. I know the lady said, but what about Adam? Ladies, let me, let me take you there slowly. She would not have had anything to suggest to Adam had she turned the devil off there. And strangely enough, what came to me is when Eve ignored God's voice, she experienced the dialogue of the death. What do I mean by that? When Eve refused to hear God's voice, she met someone who never intended to hear God's voice. The dialogue of the deaf. Deaf to what God said would happen. Deaf to anything God said. And this dialogue took place. And the very first lie actually was not, you shall surely die. But it was in the question that Satan posed to Eve. The very first lie. He said, has God indeed said right away, what is he saying? Have you been hearing what God is saying? If you are hearing what God is saying, then my next question either will hit a wall or will gain access to your heart. And he followed the question up. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And I'm discovering there's a cadence in Scripture, and you'll see it unfold in the sermon today. There's a cadence in Scripture that has a lot to do with us being determined to hear what God is saying. And I'm sure when you look back in your experiences, many of the conversations that have brought you face to face with the end of your life or a great challenge could have been avoided if you were only determined to hear what God said. Have you had conversations that you wish you never had? Been in situations you wish you'd never been in? If you had only determined to hear God's voice, because hearing is the art of following that hearing with an action. And peeking back into Noah's day, I discovered that in the description of the end, beyond the sinful conditions of Noah's day, a particular passage I've read thousands of times took on a completely different meaning in the framework of the dialogue of the death. Listen to it with me. Matthew 24 and verse 37. The words of Jesus. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. <laughs> and I paused for a moment, asked myself the question, and then I got the answer. The Lord told me what Satan did then, he is seeking to do today. What Satan accomplished among the antediluvians, he is seeking to accomplish not only in the world, which he has done at an amazing level of success, but he's seeking to accomplish that among God's people because the world is not a threat to the devil, but the church of God is. He's seeking to extend his tentacles to the ears and hearts of those claiming to have a connection with God. And what he did then, he's seeking to do today. As you read the Bible, you discover that the sin of Noah's day was not just all the things that they had done, the putrid, dark, degrading acts of their lives, but the greatest sin of Noah's day was they refused to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. We focus on the sin. But any sin is possible when you turn off your ear to the pleading of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Genesis 6 and verse 3 reads as follows. 
Bible said of that lost society. And the Lord said in Genesis 6 and verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed what? Flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And when I read that, I thought, man, this is amazing. God actually put man on a time clock. He gave Noah the directive to preach for 120 years. Think of it in that society where it never rained before. How could you believe that there is going to be rain when it never rained before? You know how you believe that? You believe what God said. If God says it, that's all that matters. Noah did not just hear God, but Noah's hearing of God was translated into action. And so here's a man that society considered a man that had lost his mind. They probably thought that he had some kind of mental disease. He hired people to build an ark for a generation that never experienced rain. But the Spirit of God did not have to strive effortlessly with Noah because Noah's ear was tuned to God's voice. It worked in Noah's day, and Satan is seeking to employ it in our day. In our day. What's the sin of Noah's day? The generation of Noah became familiar with Noah's message. And I want you to hear me carefully. Because one of the dangers we have as Seventh-day Adventist Christians is becoming familiar with the everlasting gospel. So much so that it no longer has an impact on us. My evidence of that is, I heard the story of a young man who went to visit with one of his classmates. And in his home, he was an Amish young boy. They had no television. So he didn't see the things that were on television. But he went to visit with one of his classmates for the weekend. His dad gave him permission. They said they were going to go hiking, but the rain came and they ended up staying home instead. And so his fellow classmate decided, we're going to watch some television together. And he watched a movie that was, that was replete with murders and violence. And his young classmate, this young Amish boy, while he was watching this, he, he threw up. He vomited in his, friend's, in his friend's bedroom. He said, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? He said, no, I've never seen such violence before. It actually sickened him. But I can guarantee you today, we can watch that it doesn't sicken us. Because our appetite has been so perverted by the things of the world that it has conditioned us subliminally to be no longer responsive to the things that are still a reproach in the eyes of God. In Noah's day, it became increasingly easier to ignore Noah's appeal. Noah's message was reduced to nothing more than background noise because he got so used to hearing the three angels' messages. That's why I'm amazed. There's a young lady, that, there's a lady that my wife met. She's a Jehovah's Witness. She was a Jehovah's Witness for 37 years. She's an Adventist now. She's watching this morning. She is eating up, eating up the Advent message. She said, I was told for 37 years that I was not allowed to pray. You know what she does now? She is the head of prayer ministries in her church. 
She was taught by her church that women that are Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to pray in homes at home if their husband's present. They are not allowed to pray at the kingdom hall. She said, I was told for 37 years I'm not allowed to pray. And if I pray, my husband can't hear me. She said, but he can't stop me now. She's the head of prayer ministries in her church. She said, Pastor Loma King, I, I so appreciate how you honor your wife. You let her pray at the beginning of our sessions. And when we do a prayer section at the end, my wife takes the prayer request and she prays. She said, I admire that so much. I just love to pray right now. And last Sabbath or so, a couple of weeks ago, when I did the afternoon class on how to witness, how to use your Bibles to witness the Bible marking class, she took what I told her and went out right after that to her neighbor. She said, I'm going to put that into practice. She said, now I have Bible studies with three people because all I did was follow your instructions and put it into action. And she said, and this is my first time. And now I have three Bible studies. I asked myself the question, what happened to all those Adventists that that still ask me, Pastor, how do you do it? I said, follow her. (laughs) Just do it. Amen, somebody? Just do it. The harvest is ripe but the labors are few. What happened in Noah's day? In the book, Christ in the Sanctuary, page 162, Ellen White describes that generation. She says, a message was sent from heaven to the world in Noah's day, and their salvation depended upon the manner in which they treated the message or that message. Because they rejected the warning, the Spirit of God was withdrawn from the sinful race And they perished in the waters of the flood. What happened? They ignored the message. What happened? They ignored the message. But I need to add another component to this because the Bible says my spirit will not always strive with men. Today, there is another way that people have. The devil devil is evolutionary. He's not like God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the devil is evolutionary. Ellen White says he is converted after the modern order of things. He finds creative ways to deceive. He continues to metamorphosize and use one tactic or the other to accomplish his design. That's why when we look at that passage in Genesis 6-3, my spirit will not always strive with man, we've got to be careful today because there are some people that say, okay, they did not listen to God's Holy Spirit, but I am, and I'm waiting for the Spirit of God to impress me to keep the Sabbath. Can I make it clear? You don't have to wait. If God's Word says it, the Holy Spirit already agrees. But there's some people nowadays that say, well, the Spirit hasn't impressed me yet. And there are other people that say, I've seen pastors preaching and say, oh, the Spirit just revealed something to me and it's completely out of harmony with God's Word. So you have to be careful even today that when somebody says the Holy Spirit says, here's what the Bible says. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but tests the Spirit, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul told his young protege, Timothy, these words in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, speaking of the days in which we live. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in what kind of times? 
latter times, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I like the way the King James Version says that they're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils can only affect those that succumb to the dialogue of the deaf. Said another way, the devil can't deceive you if God's word is your guide. If you are listening to what God says, the devil can't make any suggestions that are successful. If God's word is the voice that your ear is tuned to, that's why my wife and I, when we get busy, either I slow her down or she slows me down. We're about midway in the book of Isaiah. And yesterday when we read three chapters, we said, it's getting good now, isn't it? You see, brethren, the point of the matter is you've got to have a daily diet of God's word because as you read God's word, your ear becomes molded to the voice of God. And then you are able, as when I worked at a bank, when you spend time studying the original, you can, you can easily pick out the counterfeit. But if your voice is not used to hearing the voice of God, then the voice of a stranger can come along and you can be easily deceived. But I've discovered in the word of God, according to John 10 and verse 27, satanic doctrines cannot infiltrate the mind of those whose ear is tuned only to the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. John 10 verse 27. He says, my sheep, what's the next word, church? Hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. It's amazing. I watched a video the other day, and it was just so cute. Sometimes people send me little links. I don't watch all those videos. You know, all those medical ones, I ignore them. But I like to watch things about animals. I like animals. Animals are cute. And this video was animals that remembered their owner many decades later. Or a long time later. I didn't say many decades. But Animals that never forgot their owner. The first one shocked me to death. It was a young man that went to a game park in Africa. And a lioness and a lion was running toward him with ferocity. And they both leaped on him and just started licking him. And I thought, wow, what am I going to see? And in the, in the bottom credits, it says, he, tr he raised them as pups. And years later, as he released them into the wild, they never forgot him. I saw another one where a gentleman had lost a lot of weight and he had been away, he'd have been ill for a while and he came back home and his dog kind of walked around him and looked at him slowly and started growling and then he turned his face toward the dog and he noticed it was his, his owner and that dog jumped on him and as you know, the tail was moving 150 miles an hour and he was licking him all over because he never forgot him. And they showed picture after picture. They showed a little girl with a duck that she had a little duckling and she released the duckling to the pond and as that duckling grew up to be a duck, years later it came back and he just buried his head under her arms and started flapping his wings. And I thought to myself, if God's people were that way, that nothing in time or no other situation can ever get us to the point where we forget to keep hearing the voice of our God. That the voice of God still remains familiar to us in the rolling of time. That the voice of God still is sweet to our ear. And I was tickled by that. I was planning on sharing it with you, hon, but I forgot. 
But when we tune our ears to the voice of God, nobody else can deceive us. Jesus said it again in John 10 and verse 8. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And I love the latter part. But the sheep, what? Did not hear them. Amen. Why is this important? There's something happening in the Adventist church today. Folk that were raised in this movement. Even some ministers, pastor, even some ministers I'm watching that have gone out from among us. They post videos. One person sent me a, a video the other day, a video link to my messenger and said, we want you to watch this. We'd like to invite you to be a part of a debate. And I was wondering, what is the, the debate on? They said, well, some guy just recently wrote a very thick book on, he challenged all the, many of the statements in Ellen White's writings and he wants to prove her wrong. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I heard that before. Walter Race tried that many decades ago. Come on, you old Adventist, you know what I'm talking about. Remember Walter Ray? He wrote a book called The White Lie. Where's Walter Ray? Whatever happened to Walter Ray? His white lie is gone. And the, word, and the inspired writings of Ellen White are still here. What do you say? There have been people that have been throwing darts at this third grade educated Holy Spirit-filled lady called Ellen White. And what shocked me is they sent this to me. They sent this to me, and they said, in a very clever way, it's amazing to me how the devil knows how to build up stuff and try to make it sound interesting in the beginning, but you kind of know where he's going when you know that the person speaking is on his side. And I couldn't help in my tenacity but to respond. I said, Please do not send me this foolishness. I'm anchored. And as I told a couple that pulled me aside one day when I was pastoring in a church in California, spent 45 minutes with me on a Sabbath afternoon trying to go quotation after quotation after quotation of the writings of Ellen White, trying to shake my faith. And they told me, we're not trying to shake your faith. We just want to show you some things that we feel are inconsistent. And as I answered every one of them, I never heard from them again, but I've heard from Ellen White quite a bit of time since then. And I was invited to a church in Lewiston, California, up in the mountains. And when they invited me to preach, they said, whatever you do, do not mention Ellen White when you come here. Well, when I went there, I mentioned Ellen White. You know what they did? They invited me back. They said, we hadn't heard that in a long time. Here's my point. Ellen White does not supersede the Bible, but she does not fight with the word of God. And she makes it clear, as a people of God, our creed is the Bible and the Bible only. And she also says, if we had listened to God's word, there would be no need for an additional voice. Why did God send Jeremiah? Because the people didn't listen. Why did he send Isaiah? Because the people wouldn't listen to his voice. Today, there's a danger. There's a danger that we are becoming complacent to the word and the message of God. And God is saying time after time, I've got to send someone else. Oh, that the people of God would tune their voice so that Jesus can say, but the sheep did not hear them. Amen. That's why we are told by Isaiah the prophet, who knows, in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, God established a process whereby we can test everything that we hear. Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, what do we read, friends? It is because what? 
There is no light in them. So I began to walk through some points of how does the dialogue of the death actually happen? And I read an article that I could title manufactured deafness. Another term would be passive listening. BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, published this article, and there are the references there by Nicholas Mancall Battelle, February 20th, 2019, in which he wrote the following. It was, in fact, a study done by children in school. He said, Today's students have a problem. And it's not the one written on the board. They're so accustomed to constant stimuli <laughs> from cell phone apps, from cell phone, from smartphone apps, thank you, honey, and streaming platforms that they can't concentrate in class. You may have missed Ryan Day's sermon for the GC on Generation Z, a very good message, Ryan. But they point out Generation Z, ages 10 to 24, and the Alpha Generations, Alpha Generation ages 0 to 9, were born in a world where a logarithms keep them clicking, scrolling, and swiping at frantic paces. They're so busy doing this that they can't do this. And one of the teachers asked the question, how do you adapt a traditional curriculum to accommodate students raised by technology? Raised by technology. One television personality said, if you were born, if you are such and such age, you were raised, well, when you watch television, not only are you watching the program, but below there's announcements going by. And periodically there's a flashing of another show coming up. This is a generation that they want your ear to belong to them. The devil is clever. He's trying to get us to be locked in a dialogue with God. God is not hearing us because we refuse to hear him. The dialogue of the deaf. The church is facing the same challenge. A distracted generation. Well, here's how that works. Listen to the words of Christ first, and I'll lead you down further. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The question is, how are you going to know the way? How are you going to know the truth when the way and the truth are subject to hearing the voice of God? How are you going to know the way and the truth when knowing the way and the truth begins by first hearing the voice of Jesus. And then I was blown away by the article, the statistical one. I'll just quote it so that I could have your ear. In the United States in 2018, over 2,800 people were killed and an estimated 400,000 were injured in car crashes involving a distracted driver. In some of those instances, they said the drivers, I read the article, it's a lengthy article, they said some of the drivers were driving with earbuds in. And some were driving with noise-canceling headsets. How on earth are you going to hear somebody blow their horn 
and you're wearing noise-canceling headsets. They said about one in five of the people who died in crashes involving a distracted driver in 2018 were not even in vehicles. They were walking, riding their bikes, or otherwise outside a vehicle. And they said many of the victims were also themselves distracted. How is God going to get their attention? How is this dialogue of the deaf going to give way to ears that want to hear the everlasting gospel before the proclamation is done? Satan knows. Satan knows that hearing is the first step in finding Jesus. Am I right? I could tell if the room is crowded and my wife is talking, I could hear her voice. Husbands, you ought to say amen right there. You should be able to hear your wife's voice, the flavor of her voice. I could hear it in the crowd. I could hear her when she laughs. I know what it sounds like. You know how that happens? Because we have many days, many hours, where sometimes we just sit down, turn everything off. We look at each other. We just talk. We talk. We talk about the comfortable and the uncomfortable. We talk. We work our way through it. When you can do that, when you can go on vacation for two weeks with just you and your spouse and no retinue of followers and you sit down every day together and you wake up every day together and you're walking together and you're on the same boat ride together and you're on the same plane together and you're water skiing together and you can do all that together and you could survive two weeks and come back home, I guarantee you, if you spend that much time hearing one another, not just listening, but hearing one another, your relationship will be far stronger after those two weeks than it was prior to that. Hearing one another. Active listening. Satan knows that the first step in finding Jesus is allowing him to hear, allowing our ears to hear his voice. He knows that's why he's seeking to distract us today. And some of you might think, well, you know, when the pastor talks about coming out for Bible studies and coming out for afternoon classes and coming out for Wednesday night prayer meeting and joining us online or whatever we, whatever we do, oh, well, I don't have time. Let me, very, let me be very candid with you. If you don't have time to tune your ears to God's voice, the day is coming when God's voice will no longer be heard. Amos talks about that. There's going to be a famine for the hearing of the word of God. They're going to go from north to south, east to west, and they're not going to find it. This is a privileged generation. This is the generation where we are not short on resources. Amen for that. We've got everything at our fingertips. We can have translation after translation by our bedside. I was talking to one gentleman the other day, and he said, right by my bedside, I have a lot of books, and I love reading. And I was impressed. He said, the reason I'm here is because I've been reading about you. And I know that this is where God has led me to be. When you are listening, Isaiah talks about the blessing of listening. Isaiah 30 and verse 21, notice what he says. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, let's say it together. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. He said, God is, going to be, God is going to be speaking to you when you turn to the right hand or you turn to the left hand. And if I can just take the time in this sermon, if I were to put a pin in the sermon right here and spend the rest of the time just telling you how God has led us by listening to his voice. And there were days 
that I didn't want to hear what, had, what God had to say. There were days when I, I saw what God was suggesting, but I had other plans. But I remember my wife sitting me down in a place called a Rio Vista in California. Between the church that they were, they were leading me to, Fairfield, and the church I just left, Antioch. And I said, I don't want to go back into pastoring. It's too tough. I just want to be an evangelist. I want to hit and miss and get back on the road. I don't want to be hearing all those members and their complaints. I don't want to be dealing that stuff. People having hard heads and don't want to hear what I'm saying. On I, don't want, I don't want to deal with that anymore. And we were sitting at a small shop, and I had a strawberry milkshake. It's okay to have a strawberry milkshake every now and then. It was a real milkshake where they make it out of the scoops of ice cream. And, you know, when, when you just want to get it, when you just want to get numb, just get a strawberry milkshake <laughs> and tell them put everything on it. I was upset with God because he was saying, go to this church. And I just left a church. I, was, I just didn't want to go back into that. And my wife said, so now you're telling God what you want. I said, what? She said, since when do you tell God what you want? God spoke through my wife. Sometimes, husbands, we don't want God to speak through our wives. Pilate, example number one. If he had only listened to his wife, he'd have saved himself a whole lot of headache. So I said, all right. I'm going to pray for, since that's the case. So I decided to give God a difficult prayer to answer. <laughs> All right, you, you, God, do this then. You want me to go, if you want me to go to that church, because I had already hired, I'd already been hired by Amazing Facts to be their evangelist when they come to California. And they were going to be in California in a couple of months. So I was already hired in, Mar they were in Maryland, but they were moving to California. And Doug Batchelor said, we'll be in California at such and such a date. So I said, okay, God, if you want me to go to that church, stop amazing facts from coming to California. <laughs> See how much God you are. Now, I didn't say that, but you know, my, my recalcitrant heart was thinking that. So I was trying to fix my wife for talking to me that way. <laughs> you know how we are sometimes. Come on, confess it. And so... I went for the interview, very nice church. They said, we don't need a pastor to tell us what to do. We just want a pastor to hold us together because we already a working church. And believe me, they were a working church. If you didn't come to church before Sabbath school ended, you were sitting out in the foyer. Wednesday night prayer, me Wednesday night prayer meeting was always packed. And when we left that church, we left that church on the Sabbath morning. The congregation was packed. The foyer was packed and the chapel was packed. The Sabbath, God told us it was time to leave. It's a difficult thing, but God had finished us, and he told us to move on. But I remember that very well. I prayed, God, if you don't want me to, if you want me to go there, stop amazing facts. Well, Doug Batchelor called me about two days later and said, John, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but um, the deal fell through, and it's going to be a while before we come to California. <laughs> you know what that looked like? So I could almost hear God say, now what? Who are you going now? <laughs> and I ended up at Fairfield 
for six and a half years, and I'll tell you, it was one of the sweetest churches we ever had. We still get calls from those members today. Matter of fact, we get calls from all the churches we pastored throughout the years. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing that we can still go back and know that God has allowed us to put down good roots. But the point of the matter is, we are where we are today because we heard God's voice. I didn't have any plans to come to Thompsonville. All I did was sat at the edge of my bed and said, Lord, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? And I got a phone call two days later, and that's why we're here. When you listen to God's voice, when, you, when God says, ah, left, no, right, no, left, no, right, left, no. When you listen to God's voice, he'll say, this is the way. Walk in it. How does that happen in a generation where the average teenager has a 28-second attention span? According to Pew Research, pray for these young folk. Because the moment they leave, their friends are texting them or tweeting them or TikToking them. 28-second, Jason, attention span. That's what I'm up against when I stand in the pulpit on Sabbath morning. One kid said to me, Pastor, you need to preach shorter sermons. I said, no, you need to put your phone down. <laughs> Paul, Paul preached so long, Eutychus fell out the window and died. <laughs> I'm st- I never preached that long. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> he went and prayed and woke him back up and kept preaching. <laughs> The survey said students now seem to find it particularly exhausting to read complex and long texts without regular breaks. But they said in about 10 years or 15 years ago, students seemed to be accustomed to attending to a text for a longer period of time. In other words, they said this generation is hard for young people to pick up a book and read. You know what they do nowadays? This is the generation that does their homework with the computer on, phone in their lap, earbuds in their ear, waiting for the next text. How are you going to get their attention on Sabbath morning? And I ain't doing nothing differently. Excuse my vernacular. I ain't changing a thing. Because I'm not going down that path of fleeting entertainment. I want to be able to train your voice, to train your ear to hear God's voice. Elizabeth Hoover, chief technology officer for the public schools in Alexandria City, Virginia, she wrote, the face-to-face interaction with the teacher is still the most important component in the classroom, she says. She says, we should only use technology when it enhances a lesson in a way that is only possible by that device. If it does not enhance the lesson, she says, don't use it. Because this generation is inoculated by devices. Could it be why this is the reason why Revelation says what it does in Revelation 1 and verse 3. How can the gospel reach this generation? Well, the Bible has the answer right here. Revelation, 8, Revelation 1 and verse 3. Revelation 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, blessed is he who reads. And those who do what? Hear the words of this prophecy. And those who do what? Keep those things which are written in it for the times at hand, just in case you missed it. The scrolls were unrolled. They didn't have many copies of the Bible in that day. And people gathered to hear the scroll read. And boy, did they lean to hear it. But the scroll reader said, now go do what you heard. You see, the cadence is, 
the, the message goes forth, you hear it, and then the Word of God encourages you to keep those things that are written in it, for the time is at hand. We are told that if what you hear does not affect the way you live, then you're really not hearing. You may be listening, but it's not finding a fertile ground. And in the parable of the sower, you find 75% ineffective results. 25% effective results. Why? Because when the seed was sown, which is the word of God, there were different conditions to the hearers. Stony ground, shallow ground, thorny ground. And only 25% of those had any results in their lives. Could that be the statistic today? Because this generation has been subliminally trained to turn off listening skills. I cite the reasons. How do I know that? How many times have you paid attention to the music in the store? Go to Walmart. How often do you turn off everything and focus on listening to one thing? Does it seem strange to you to have an uninterrupted conversation with anyone? How easy is it to completely ignore background music and background talking while you're talking to one individual? How often do you listen without device interruption? A man by the name of Simon Sinek, he said, when you go to dinner, which he's now decided to do, he said, when, when my four friends went to dinner, three of us decided we're not taking our phones. Just one would take a phone in case of emergency because we want to sit down and talk without interruptions. My wife and I, we go to restaurants, we look at couples, she said, look at that, they haven't spoken since they got here. She's like this, he's like that. We were in Thailand. And on the subway platform, they have glass sliders. Because we found out the purpose for the glass sliders is people have walked into the subway tracks because they were so engrossed in their devices. And so I decided to take a picture of it. I looked at the platform, I looked left and I looked right, and I saw people, this was amazing, everybody's head was down. And I said, honey, look at this. How is God going to reach this distracted generation? Huh? Oh, yeah, that's right, that's another one. That's amazing. My wife knows my sermon material. In Oakland, California, a young man came on the train and he took out his gun and announced that this was a, this was a robbery and nobody responded. Because <laughs> they were all on their devices. And he yelled it even louder, this is a holdup! They showed on the camera he got off the next stop. <laughs> and I'm all like, man, man, chill out. I'm, I'm texting. They didn't hear what he had to say. If you can't hear a thief with a gun in his hand trying to rob you, how's the Spirit of God going to get through to this generation? I, I read the statistics on streaming services. They said that by 2018, 180 million streaming users. And it says all these trends 
push the concept of active listening to the wayside while reinforcing more and more passive listening. So people don't listen anymore. Why am I coming? Why am I talking to you this way today? I've been here 18 years and I can tell. When I turn on the Zoom Wednesday night, and this is our Wednesday night Bible study, I know there are maybe three of my church members that are beyond that. I ask, Lord, what are, they, what are they listening to? What's actually happening between this hour and that hour? When we had prayer meeting, people say, I want to have prayer meeting back on Wednesday nights. Now, that's a great idea, but how many of you are going to come? What on earth is happening so importantly in your life that you can't chisel out an hour for God to get together corporately and pray and study the Bible together? What on earth is the devil, what has, what has he done to sequester you off stage in a soundproof room and the voice of God is only heard in a certain period of time on Sabbath morning. And for many of you, that's too long. When pastor told me, he said, if your sermon is more than 20 minutes, it's too long. I said, well, that's the same. Who told you that? He said, well, my church members did. I said, well, you probably go to their, their, their football party where they watch football for four hours, right? They had a church where you used to wear football jackets to church on Sabbath. And when the, three, when the angels, when the blue angels came to town, they'd go watch the blue angels fly at the Air Force Base not too far away. They watched the blue angels and they ignored the three angels. And I thought, what's happening to the church? Well, let me make it very clear. What happened in the time of Noah also happened in the time of Christ. He committed to his people a doctrine, messages, solid food. And by the time Jesus came, there was a condition among the Jews that was appalling to the analogy of heaven. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 15. Look at this prognosis of that generation. This happened to the Jews in the days of Christ. He says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. He said, that happened then. I, I've got to ask the question, no, no answer necessary, but I want you to think about it. If it happened then, if it happened in Noah's day, it happened in the days of Christ, we are in good company, Pastor. They wouldn't listen to Jesus, so we, we shouldn't stress over the idea that church members don't listen to us. They wouldn't listen to the best preacher the world will ever know, the best teacher the world has ever had, and Jesus said, they won't even hear me. Why? Here's why. First Samuel 9, here's why. Here's the first Samuel 9, here's why. 1 Samuel 3, verse 9 to 10. Hearing the Lord is a prerequisite to speaking for the Lord. What a beautiful example. I just took a snippet from the story. You know, the young man, young boy, Samuel. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, because he kept hearing this voice. He said, go lie down and it shall be. If he calls you that you must say, this is what we must say today. What a statement for today. Speak, Lord. Why? 
for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at all, as at other times. Samuel, Samuel, Pastor Samuel. And what did you say? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Why did Samuel become one of the greatest prophets of his time? He heard God before he wanted God to hear him. If you want God to hear you, we've got to be willing to hear God. Samuel spoke for the Lord because he was willing to hear what the Lord had to say. And when you add to that satanic confusion, the barrier of biased hearing. Now I'm winding up now, but I want to just hit you with a couple more things here. Because these are things that I learned. I always try to show you something different. There's a, there's a phrase called semantic noise. What word did I just say? Semantic noise. Which means in the, in the industry of studying the, the, the tactics and the skills of hearing, semantic noise means during the conversation or during the communication of a message, when an unfamiliar word is spoken, it causes interference in the listener. For example, if I just threw out a word that you never heard before, threw out a word that needed some further definition, it'll interrupt your smooth hearing, and I will lose you. And as I study this, it came to, it came to, it came to me why, why the prophet Habakkuk said what he did, and why Jesus, as Ellen White says, he spoke the language of the people. He did not want to... He could have eaten. Could Jesus use big words? <laughs> I got to throw that. Could Jesus have used big words? Of course. You think that psychologists and philosophers had big words. <laughs> Jesus is the wordsmith. He could have used that, but his aim was to get to the heart. And he knew, she says, he spoke the language of the people. He spoke so they could understand I may be able to impress your intellect, but if I don't get, gain access to your heart, my message has done nothing more than made you a student rather than a disciple. That's why the prophet Habakkuk said what he did. Listen to this. He said in Habakkuk 2 and verse 2, Then the Lord answered and said, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it what? Plain on tablets that they may run who does what? Who read it. So in other words, if it's clear, I know what to do. If it's not clear, i got to figure it out before I know what to do. That's why when you leave a building, when, the, when you have to get out of the building real quickly, how many words do you have to read? One word. What's that word? <laughs> Can you imagine if it was like a long sentence? Wait, wait. Let's figure out where to go. No. The point of it, get the message quickly to that heart so that there could be, in fact, an act that follows what that person has just heard. And then another doctor talked about this generation. He said, this generation is predisposed to psychological noise. Psychological noise. Psychological noise, Ricky, is when people listen through the filters of bias and reinterpretation. That means simply people hear through the window of preferences, likes, and dislikes. I might say something in the sermon that may get somebody upset, and I lost them for the rest of the sermon. Somebody once said to me, now you know you're not supposed to say that because it's against the law. 
I said, if it's in God's word, I'm going to say it. Amen. 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 The preacher does not speak smooth things. He speaks those things that will lead a person to understand that the blessing of hearing comes from the willingness to know that what is being said applies also to that person's life. So how does the dialogue of the deaf work? Write these points down. Here's the next point. The dialogue of the deaf happened when a person hears the message but doesn't believe it applies to them. Case in point, Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. I'm going to go through this very quickly. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a what? Tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, he said, I thank you that I am not like other men. <laughs> he heard the sermon that day. Extortioner, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Then his resume of righteousness. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. What did he do? But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Whenever you hear the message, whatever day, whomever the preacher may be, ask yourself the question, Lord, how does it apply to me? Because I've heard people say to me, you know, pastor, that was a good message, but I wish so-and-so was in church today. <laughs> they got a list of people that should have heard it. And they ain't on the list. <laughs> Sorry, grammatically, they are not on the list. How does it work? They are not necessarily non-believers. They just don't follow it up with action. James 1, verse 22 to 25. Look at this. James 1, verse 22 to 25. I'm going through this very quickly because I know you have an appointment. But be doers of the word. Can we say that together? But be what? Doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. There are some great preachers in the world. But it's not the preacher, it's the message. Because if the guy that comes to my door from Amazon is one foot tall or six feet tall, I'm just glad he brought my package. Did you get it? Don't look at the messenger if he is proclaiming from God's word, if it is coming from a thus saith the Lord, that is the most important point. Because James says, if you just hear the word, but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. Why? Look at verse 23. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Why? For he observed himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And then it goes on. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and does what? Continues in it, 
and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do you want to be blessed in what you do? Yes. God wants to bless us, but we cannot just hear. We got to do. We just can't say that was a great message. And I'm not looking for that accolade. We cannot just say, what a preacher. Elder Brooks, what a sermon. Pastor Finley, what a message. Elder Wilson, what a, what a message. If we don't follow it up with an action. God is saying we missed the point. The dialogue of the deaf belong to people that replace obedience with Christian activity. They say, Lord, 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 haven't we done this and haven't we done that? And he said to them, I never knew you. The dialogue of the deaf would rather do the Christian things than be obedient to the word of God. Would rather do Christian things than be obedient to the word of God. The dialogue of the deaf, they speak like Christians, but their hearts are not surrendered to God. Look at Matthew 15, verse 8. The Bible says in Matthew 15, verse 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is what, friends? Far, Far from me. I used to be. Ready for a confession? When I was growing up, I thought singing was everything. Matter of fact, one evening, I was sitting down, oh, this is about 15 years ago, watching, <laughs> all right, watching American Idol. I don't watch it anymore because it's American Idol. And I was hearing somebody sing, and I thought, man, that guy can't sing. I can sing better than that. Huh? Sorry, it's a music awards. Thank you, honey. My wife, what? is your wife like that? <laughs> they remember all the details. Thank you, honey. Music awards. And I thought, he's getting a Grammy. He can't even sing. And Ryan, I said, I can sing better than that. And all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me one day, it's not how you draw near to me with your mouth and honor me with your lips. I don't care how good you sing. I want to know where your heart is. Because a lot of folk could sing good. But like the church member in that church in Fairfield, she said, even the devil can preach a good sermon, but he can't live it. And lastly, the dialogue of the deaf happens when a person intentionally closes his ear to God's law and claims that God is still listening to them. But the wise man Solomon said it the other way. Proverbs 28, verse 9 one who turns away his ear from hearing the law. What a statement. Even his prayer is an abomination. My brethren, I don't want to have a dialogue between me and God where God ain't listening to me and I ain't listening to him. I don't want to be a church member alone. We should get to the place where we want to develop a thirst in our hearts for hearing God's voice. We want to get to the place where we are so willing to shut down the device and say, where is my Bible? Where is my Bible? I need to hear from God. There are days I don't want to read devotional books. 
I don't want to hear what somebody has to say about what God says. I want to hear what God says about himself. And I can tell you there's no sweeter joy. My wife said this last night. We were sitting down. Well, actually, during the day, we were sitting down reading an Isaiah. I, she said, we got a lot of work to do, but it's getting real good. Okay, one more chapter. Okay, one more chapter. Okay, one more chapter. When God's word, you got to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you know what? You start hearing God speak to you. There's no greater joy than to know that God had preserved this book, this book to speak to me. And nobody can interrupt my conversation with God. I've since then, when I'm reading my Bible, I put my phone in the room, and when it rings, I ignore it. Because that's what the devil does. Somebody calls. When you're now, if you called, I apologize. But call when I ain't reading my Bible. Ignore that. When God's word is being spoken, it should be uninterrupted. Amen. What did the Lord say to the church? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Seven times in Revelation, April, Amen. we find that phrase. Why? It's the last part of the story. And God is saying, I need you to hear. What is he saying to the last church? Here it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. How many of you want to have dinner with Jesus? <laughs> Can you imagine getting an invitation in the mail? Meet me and Marion for dinner. Who's that from? Jesus. No, really, let me see that. It's frightening, you know. Jesus has been sending invitations to you all week long. Amen. He wanted to just eat with you. How many of you have missed your dinner date with Jesus? Where the bread and the water is sure. Amen. Where the word of God is sweet. Amen. Where it never disappoints. Where it's so good that Jesus says, I have food that you don't even know about. Where the woman at the well, when she heard it, she said, I don't need that water pot anymore. I found a man who told me everything I ever heard. Friends, today, Adventist, Christian, whatever denomination you may be of, today, the blessing that this last generation is going to get, that is reserved for this generation, God is saying, I want to spend some time with you. I want to talk to you. Do you want to even hear me? Do you want to even, do you even care about what I have to say? I want to save you, but that's not all. I want to know you now. I want to be able to speak sweet nothings in your ear and tell you, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never let you down. I'll never let the enemy take hold of you. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Sister-in-law, 
kind of roundabout way. Young lady married to my wife's brother. She's going through difficult times with her liver. And she called yesterday, and as I was praying to her, God put on my mind a saying that I had never heard before. And there have been times in my life I say to my wife, I never said that before. And she said, God just gave that to you. And yesterday as I was praying for her, I said to her, when your mountain seems steep, God is at the top pulling you up. He's at the bottom pushing you up. And he's on your side holding you up. But how would you know that? I heard a voice crack. She said, there were times I wanted to give up, but I knew that God never left me. How many of you want to know that? You'll only know that if you get used to hearing his voice today. Don't get caught up in the dialogue of the deaf. God ain't listening to you. You ain't listening to God. You're not looking forward to seeing him. You're just comfortable being a benefactor of what he has for the church down here. I don't want to benefit from what the church has down here. I want this to continue throughout eternity. So I'm going to ask you today. I've been trying to find creative ways to get you to find love in the Bible, to find love in prayer meeting, to find a joy in getting together corporately to study God's word, not just Sabbath morning. That's almost obligatory. But if you want to go home today and say, Lord, talk to me, speak to me, let me hear you. Put aside the world, shut it down, lock it up, put the device away, say, God, I just want to be me and you. If that's your desire today, I, would, I wish, I want to do something different. If you want me to pray for you today, that that will be your experience. Just come on down. I don't want to just say stand. I want people that are committed to that. God's going to mark that. God's going to say, I'm going to follow it up. If you want God to be the one you have dinner with and his word is the menu and it gets so sweet, he said, hey, that's not even, that's just the first round. I got a whole lot more food where that came from. Because this meal was never intended to be a part of the dialogue of the death. Heavenly Father, these are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. And you said, my sheep hear my voice. Lord, is that the case? Because there are thieves and robbers trying to steal the hearts of our young. The thieves and robbers trying to steal the hearts of wives and husbands. Thieves and robbers trying to entice us with things that come and go and they fade away. And yet so often you sit maybe on our couch and in our living room and you watch us walk by you too busy to say hello too busy when you extend your hand, wait, and you say, I don't have time for you now, God. I'll see you on Sabbath. Lord, may that not be the cadence in the lives of your children. May that not be the cadence in the lives of us preachers. May our Bible be more important than just preparation for a sermon. But may there be such a thirst for it that we cannot wait for that next meal. And so, Lord, I pray, forgive us for where we have ignored you. Forgive us where we have 
not heard your still small voice. Forgive us for the moments that maybe we brought a tear to your eyes. You've asked, what has happened to my son? What is going on in my daughter's life? But may we find the best place, the feet of Jesus. The best place, the table of grace. And when this meal is all done down here, help us to realize spending time with the bread of water, with the bread of life and the water of life, and this life will prepare us for the banqueting table in the kingdom to come. Amen. Bless us, Lord, and destroy the dialogue of the death and make it open, uninterrupted communication with the God whom we love. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen. And amen.